I feel the Spirit of God at work in this place this morning. Something's going on here. God is doing something. Danielle Reason, are you in here? Are you back in here? Oh, hi, Danielle. Danielle was baptized a few minutes ago. If I was uh, going to title this sermon today, I had a thought while you were talking. I might have titled it Between a Methodist Church and a Mortuary. Um, and let me tell you why. Because all of us find ourselves in this life somewhere between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, and the kingdom of death. It's the world we come into, right? And every one of us in this room, and in Lewis County, and in the state of Washington, in the United States, all over the globe, every one of us has a choice to make between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of death. Billy Graham once said that God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose the kingdom of death. And the reality is, is that we need to be a place where the kingdom of life is just boldly, loudly proclaimed and expressed. And I believe with all my heart that we have this enormous task ahead of us. We know by the survey work we've done that we live in one of the least churched, I wouldn't say religious, but least churched parts of the world. Do you know that other nations now send missionaries to America? I'm not joking. Because we live in a society right now where I believe the kingdom of death is being sort of loudly proclaimed. People are dying. And I'm a little bit concerned that the church's response has been the wrong one. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a minute. And I think we need to rethink this way. As I was thinking about this Sunday, on a Sunday morning where we celebrated four people who stepped out and were baptized, I thought, what a great, yeah. I thought, what a great, what a great Sunday to talk about sharing Jesus with others. What a great, I was 10 years old when I came to Christ. I remember it. This morning, we're going to talk about evangelism. We're going to talk about uh, telling people about Jesus. And let me tell you right now, uh, when I, as, as long as I've been a senior pastor, I preach multiple times a year on evangelism. You'll hear several things you've already heard from me this morning. But I believe it's that important of a topic. And I believe if we move away from it, we are, uh, in a way, violating our responsibility in the kingdom of heaven to show others Jesus. For everyone here, evangelism should be important. Let me give you two reasons. Number one is this. You would not be here this morning had somebody not told you about Jesus, right? For those of you that are followers, by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. You're welcome to here every week. You're welcome to sit wherever you want. You're welcome to drink our coffee. We want to get to know you. We want this to be a place where you can ask all sorts of questions. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it means that somebody told you about Jesus Christ, right? Now, the second reason is this. I guarantee you there is not a person in here this morning that doesn't have at least one person in their life that needs to know Jesus. 
Every one of us, and let's be honest, in the world we live in right now, most of us have multiple people, including family members who don't know Jesus, right? So it needs to be a, a priority. By the way, if you don't like those two reasons, let me give you a third one. God loves the person that you love the least as much as he loves you. And God wants to see that person in heaven. That's tough sometimes, isn't it? That annoying person. You're like, eternity with them? Right? But that denies the possibility of the Holy Spirit working in their life to make them more Christ-like. And by the way, work in your life to make you more Christ-like too, right? God loves people. So telling others about Jesus uh, should be a primary responsibility for all us. By the way, we have not always done well in evangelicalism. I think I've I got a picture here. Do we have that picture? I've got a picture here that uh, I wanted to show you this morning. Yeah, uh, uh, Turner Burn, Happy New Year. Uh, I thought that was not the best example of evangelism. Um, if you're ever in Lownsville, it actually might be worth a stop in just to see what's going on there. It might be kind of crazy. That's just the naughty part of me speaking right now. But, or you can just go in there and start loving people, you know, just confuse them. Uh, but uh, there's all sorts of ways that we've, we've done things over the years that, that uh, probably aren't the best forms of evangelism. I remember one time I took my leadership team and my youth group when I was a youth pastor down to Rockaway Beach, Oregon for a youth retreat, and we're in a parking lot grabbing groceries, and I've got like 12 kids on my leadership team, and all of a sudden these guys with bullhorns and giant banners start yelling at us to turn or burn. 12 kids that had already made a decision for Jesus, and then a parking lot full of onlookers who watched and thought, I don't think that's a club I want to join, you know? doesn't look like what I want to be. There's been other things. History is, is sort of rife with them if you think about the Crusades. I'm not talking about Billy Graham's Crusades or modern Crusades. I'm talking about Crusades uh, where uh, we've invaded nations. And here, here's like a really good way of doing evangelism. Find people that don't know Christ and kill them. That's not a good way to do it, right? We would all agree that that's sort of ironic, right? So the Crusades were probably a bad example of what went on. By the way, I think we've got a, a modern version of it. And I'm just going to speak from my heart this morning. Uh, I'm somebody who's sort of leaned politically conservative my whole life. I'm a we're all political, right? Christ was political. Christ spoke to political issues, okay? Christ spoke to political issues. But let me say this. I'm a little concerned in much of the church, we have decided that it's more important to change people's behavior than change their hearts. And the reality is, you can change people's behavior and they'll still be bound for hell. We're about heart changing here. By the way, when people's hearts are changed, you know what happens a lot of times? Their behavior changes. So politics isn't always the best way to evangelize people. There have been some amazing examples over the years of evangelism as well. The good and the bad. I want to talk about the good a little bit this morning, and we're going to get to that, or is that really in there phrase. How many of you in here, raise your hand if you've heard of the four spiritual laws. Raise your hand, the four spiritual laws. Let me give you a little modern church history. How many of you, did anybody raise your hand in here if you came to Christ through some version of the four spiritual laws? 
I, I did. I did. I see a couple. Couple of, interesting. I thought I'd see more. I really thought I'd see a lot more hands than that. Fascinating. Uh, well, maybe after I explain what an arm more of you will say, well, yeah, I, I saw a version of that. I, ca- I came through a version of that. In 1951, a good man named Bill Bright started a ministry at UCLA. Anybody know what it was called? Campus Crusade. Thank you, Tom. Campus Crusade for Christ. In 1952, he wrote a little tract called The Four Spiritual Laws. Let me show you what they are. I think they might be in your notes. And and this is straight from one of their tracts. I just cut and pasted it here. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot know the experience of God's love and plan for his life. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. We must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our life. Now, my question, now let me, a lot of you go, well, I have kind of heard that before. Somebody did explain that. Maybe you saw one of the things that commonly came along with it was a picture of, of two cliffs. Man was on one side and God was on the other cliff. And there was this giant abyss between them, and then somebody would draw in the picture of Jesus as the bridge between man and God. Anybody have that model explained to them over the years? Yes, that was Bill Bright. We're looking at the same thing there. So many of you probably did come through some version of this. And at the end, you'd pray a prayer of repentance. Since this phrase, this series is called, is that really in here? Let me ask you a question this morning. Are the, is the four spiritual laws in there? That's a trick question. Um, if you're wondering what you were supposed to answer, you could have probably raised your hand to both and said, and be right. For one, this con- conceptually, theologically, I would argue that yes, that is in there. The phrase for spiritual laws, you're not going to find in there. Okay? But I think conceptually, it's, it's spot on. Uh, it, was intro- it was a way, by the way, it was how I was raised to introduce people to Christ. The, the church I grew up in used this. I would argue that, it, and let me say this, I think it can still be an effective tool, but here's the thing. It's probably going to be more effective with people like my age on up. My age on down are probably really going to struggle with this. We're going to talk about that this morning, and we're going to talk about maybe some ideas about how we can engage in evangelism with younger folks this morning. Uh, I'm going to argue this this morning. I'm just going to kind of blow the lead right here and tell you what it is. Uh, we need to consider new ways of sharing truth because what we're doing right now isn't working. It doesn't mean the truth changes. It means we need to consider new ways at, at, a, at an individual level in our own lives. We need to start asking ourselves, okay, I do want to, sh- by the way, we should all want to share Christ. It's a scary thing to do, right? We should all want to do it though. So we need to start by asking ourselves, okay, if I want to do this, who do I need to do it with and what's going to work for that person? What's going to be most likely to engage that person? Before I tell you the challenges of this new evangelism this morning, uh, I think that there's something that we need to learn from Bill Bright. Bill Bright said this, I love this, there is no higher calling or greater privilege known to man than being involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission. Isn't that great? I'm concerned that our generations have lost their passion for telling people about Jesus. For one, we don't want to get yelled at. It might make us uncomfortable. It's scary. I don't know what to say. 
Those are all real things. I don't want to diminish those. Some of us feel embarrassed or even grossly outnumbered in the society we live in. We fear rejection. Or maybe we're just so horribly distracted in life that we haven't made it a priority. Church, we need to see the flame ignited. You know, if just, if just people in, in, in the few block radius of this church started showing up on Sunday morning, we'd have to add services immediately, probably two. The majority of our neighbors don't step into a church. And by the way, stepping into a church doesn't make you a Christian. But it does show connectivity to the kingdom. Let's consider the words of Paul this morning. Why don't we stand? Junior's going to come. Junior, you still in here? There he is. Junior's going to come and read our passage to us this morning. It's out of Romans 10, 10 through 17. I got it right there if you want it, or do you have it right there? Yeah, you don't need me. You don't need me at all, do you? I'll go over here. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. What do you think, Junior, for me? Solid work. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, would you just speak to our hearts this morning as we examine and explore this idea of telling others about you? God, it, it can be uncomfortable, but momentary discomfort is okay if it means that one person gets to walk into your, your future, your glory, your heaven. Give us courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So let's talk about some new ways this morning. There are lots of points this morning, so we're gonna go move pretty quickly. First off, new evangelism is more missional and less attractional. It's more missional and less attractional. I'll, I'll explain what that means here in a second. Attractional is trying to get somebody to come to us. Uh, we do something that, that tries to get somebody into our building. And by the way, those are good things. I'm not saying it's not attractional. I'm saying it's more missional than attractional, okay? We still can engage in sort of an attractional uh, um, approach to it. But it's likely gonna be less effective with young people. I'll just say that right off the bat. I firmly believe that in order to be obedient to the gospel and carry out the kingdom message, we need to be connected to a local body of believers. And that happens when people are invited to connect. And there's been good models of that. But some of the things, again, that, that worked in the past, we're going to struggle with now. Look at verse 13 that we just read. And how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You may be that person. You may be that person. 
Many of you remember growing up in uh, Invite Your Friends to Church Sunday. How many of you ever did an Invite Your Friends to Church Sunday growing up? Not a bad thing. It's good to invite your friends to church. Anybody know why young people might be averse to, and there's lots of reasons, to coming to an Invite Your Friends to Church Sunday? The reason is, in all likelihood, most people, particularly younger people, don't like to be seen as a project or something to be fixed. And they don't want to be seen as a part of a program. The church of the uh, 70s, 80s, even the 90s loved programs. And we always have programs, right? We have to have an educational program. We have to have a discipleship program. But the challenge with programs is sometimes they can turn people into projects. And young people are very suspicious of that. Uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we used a lot of sports and we used a lot of uh, m- music and drama as a tool. I love those things. I participated in those things. I think in some level, there, there's, a, uh, there's a, uh, a place for that. But let me say this too, with our younger generation, you have to remember something else that's, that's gone on in the last um, 20 years, if you're really gonna understand young evangelism, is one, is the way that people to prefer to get information has changed radically, radically, okay? And the level of entertainment available to people at a quality level, I'm not talking quality in terms of content because some of it's just garbage, but I'm talking quality in terms of presentation has, has risen through the roof. And so young people, they, they, might, uh, they might say, well, they're better shows, they're better clubs, they like virtual, virtual and digital. By the way, another thing we're up against is we live in what sociologists call a post-Christian society. Now, we in the church don't like to hear it, but it's reality, where churches become exceedingly strange to folks. By the way, not totally a bad thing in and of itself as well. We're called strangers and aliens, right, and Peter? And so we, it's good for us to look a little bit different, but how are we gonna get those folks that are adverse to this different sort of people to meet with us? Let's talk about that a little bit. By the way, you know, I was thinking of other things that, you know, one of the things we were trained to do in college was go, I think I spoke on this before, to go knock on people's doors. And then when they'd answer the door, we'd look at them and we'd say, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Can you imagine? No, seriously. How many of you participated in some of the evangelism explosion, some form of that? Okay. And, it, and by the way, it worked. Parts of it worked, okay? I, I wanna, but in 2023, if you walk up to somebody's door and go, and they answer the door and you go, if you were to die tonight. <laughs> right? Right? Like if, if you were like, like if somebody did that to me, I'd be like, what? what? Uh, you know, so we have to be, we have to really be trying to put ourselves, and this is, by the way, whenever we communicate with somebody, we need to put ourselves into their, into their brain. We need to learn, it's, you know what we call that, by the way? Empathy. We need to learn to think like they think. Okay? According to the Pew Research Center, since 2007, the percentage of adults who say they are atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, by the way, sociologists now call, now call that group the nuns. Not like nuns with a, you know, nuns, no religion, none. 
that number of people, the nuns, has grown from, in, in less than 20 years, from 16% to almost 30%, almost doubled, okay? And during this time, the share of U.S. adults who identify as Christians has fallen 15%. 15%. Do you know how many millions of people that is? So here's the reality. They're not coming to us. So you know what we need to do? We need to go to them. And we need to find creative, relational ways to go to them. You know what young people want? You know what young people want? Older people who care for them and love them and want to talk to them. I remember, you know, in, in, when I was in youth ministry, I've been removed from that world, you know, now for about uh, 13, 14 years, but when I was in youth ministry, I thought that being uh, funny and, you know, kind of cool, which is kind of funny to say that because I'm really not that cool, uh, but, you know, I'll be the funny, cool guy that will draw kids. It really doesn't. Uh, one of the things I learned about young people over the years is just a lot of them are in homes that are broken. A lot of them are in systems that are ugly. A lot of them, the pressure to, to excel and exceed and the pressure to look good, particularly among girls, but men, also, boys also, um, is so burdensome to them. And now with social media that's exploded, it's even worse that just an adult who will listen to them who's not crazy, is a big deal. It's a big deal. By the way, can I just put in a plug right now? We need children and youth workers. And you don't have to be Billy Graham. You just have to listen and talk. One of the things I've come to love about Aaron Lund, you know, this, this 27-year-old by the way, she's in preparation to become a minister. She had her, an interview for her licensure with the Church of God recently and just excelled. She just loves to talk to kids. And it shows. That's a huge deal. Matthew 28 should be familiar. If you grew up in the church at all, we call it the Great Commission, right? Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you. Jesus tells us, go make disciples. Go, go. Don't like wait, wait. I'm gonna send them to you. No, you gotta go to foreign lands. By the way, foreign lands can be right on your block in the world we live in right now. We need to go to them. Look at what the word Paul uses. Paul says, and how can they uh, call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'd like to be a church, this sounds weird, of people with beautiful feet. All right? I'd like to be the beautiful foot church. So evangelism is missional, it's going, it goes to people in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the hospital, in the coffee shop. By the way, you know one of the things I learned, this is powerful ministry, one of the things I learned really early on, and it's a privilege, and by the way, it's not a privilege simply reserved for pastors. In fact, when a church expects their pastor to do this, I believe the church is missing its mission. I happen to like doing it. But pastoral visits and home visits to people who are hurting is a big deal. 
And over the years, my most fruitful ministry has come when I've walked into a household, been invited into a household where there is mourning. Or walked into that hospital room and with a family and just loved on a person. You can do more in those 10, 15 minutes. It's amazing. And by the way, God opens those opportunities. I'm so thankful to the man that one time, before, uh, before I was in ministry, said, do you want to go do a hospital visit with me? I'm like, what? Changed my world. Next, new evangelism listens to and takes time. We have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to take time. Okay? This is not going to be a quick process. You know, the, we were really trained to seal the deal. You know what the problem with sealing the, deal, sealing the deal is in an evangelism message? Is it can become coercive and it become fake. So I, I remember one time speaking, or I was at a youth camp where the speaker did an altar call. Uh, th- this is something that will stick in my mind forever. Youth camp, speaker does an altar call. And about a third of the kids came up to the altar and he prayed with them. He did another altar call. Those are some of you out there. And he did four altar calls until about seven kids were left just sitting by themselves. I was so angry. It was so manipulative. I made a point of going and talking to each one of those seven kids and tell them how much they were loved and if they just want to talk, I, I was here. Evangelism may take time, folks. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes, by the way, in our, in our tribe, in the church of God, we believe in a thing called provenient grace. We believe the idea is uh, that the, the Holy Spirit has already been working. Before we even show up. So sometimes, let me tell you a story. It's not in my notes, but I'll throw this in. My first youth ministry experience, I, I think I shared this with you. One of my big concerns when I went into youth ministry is I'd never led anyone to Christ. And I was going into ministry what a fraud, right? And I remember we were doing this big outreach event and I just prayed, God, if there's somebody out there tonight, help me lead them. What, show me what to say. And uh, I'm like, you know, I was worried. What if I say the wrong thing? You know, what if I screw this up? And I was at, we were at the YMCA in Tillamook, Oregon. We did this thing and this junior high girl at the end of the evening came up to me and goes, um, hey, I need to accept Christ in my life. Would you do that with me now and explain what that fully means? And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is so much easier than I thought it would be, you know. Um, it was really good of you. This is a great first-time introduction to this, Lord. And I've had a lot since then, and they're not always that easy, right? But you know what? Sometimes the Spirit of God, you don't even know what he's doing. And he's already at work, right? And, and, and he's just saying, you know, he's, he's just saying, Henry, I just need you to go talk to him. I've done most of the work, you know. Sometimes it's harder. Luke, 10, 19, uh, Luke 19, 1 through 10, rather. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore frig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at uh, once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to, the, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, here I now have half, I give half of my possessions to the poor and I have cheated anybody out of anything. I'll pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Look at this. 
Look what happens here. Jesus comes and, you know, know, he's Jesus, right? He's at a bit of an advantage over us. I'll admit that. But he's sitting there and he goes, you know, come down from the tree. I'll I'll come visit you today. I want to come visit you today. I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to go to your house. And even before, the narrative seems to indicate even before he goes to the house, because the crowd's sitting there muttering, he's going to this guy's house? By the way, we're going to have to go to some of this guy's houses if we're going to be successful. He's going to this guy's house? So he goes to the house. Or he comes down and he gets saved. It almost appears like he gets saved before he goes to the house. And then he goes to the house with him. Jesus wasn't about getting people saved. Yes, he was about saving people. But see, the problem when we view salvation as getting people saved is we forget that it is a relationship, it is a lifelong process, that eternity begins right now, and that we can start to have full life right now, and we can walk with, walking with people after they're saved is as important. And we need to be there for that. Jesus talks to, seeks Zacchaeus out. He tells him he's coming to the house. Zacchaeus confesses. Jesus declares him saved, and he goes to the house anyway. This was about relationship. Much of Jesus' work, in fact, we argued most of Jesus' work happened in two places, the homes and in the marketplace. We need to be getting into people's homes and going into the marketplace. By the way, going into people's homes tells us a lot about their story, right? One of my favorite things that, you know, I've got, you know, one of the things of, you know, I'm not gonna be here a whole lot longer, and, and one of the things that I've done, that's been kind of fun to me and, uh, is all the friends I've made. And I've been to some of your homes, and I look at your pictures, and we talk about them getting to know people. Relationship grows knowledge, and we need to hear people's stories. You, if you want to have a spiritual influence in somebody's life, you need to take time to hear their story, to talk to them about their story. When we do this, we learn about their backgrounds. We learn about their brokenness. We learn about their hurts. We learn of family histories. We learn of religious experience and priorities. By the way, it's staggering to me the number of times I meet a new person now who's, and by the way, we've had, as you all know, because it's obvious, we've had multiple new people stepping into the church in the last three or four months. It's accelerated. And one of the things that I learned when I talk to people over and over, it's a story I hear repeatedly, is how many people were wounded in a church. Uh, Mostly the results of fundamentalism, that judged them and wanted correct behavior before a changed heart. And they stepped out of a church. And so stepping back into a church for them is so scary. And I get it. I get it. And that's why we need to be about relationship. Because these people have all sorts of suspicions and relationship helps us to calm those suspicions. For years, by the way, you know, when, you go, when you're a youth ministry, ministry you, you hear this phrase multiple times. People don't know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. It is possible to have all the right information in the world and a fabulous presentation. But if you don't care about them, they're not more than a number to you, it'll likely fall for naught. A lot of us operate with assumptions about what people know about God based on our upbringing. 40 years ago, almost everybody knew something about Christianity. It's possible today to have a conversation with a young person that knows nothing about the Bible. Nothing. Zero. They maybe have heard of Jesus. 
You know, maybe Moses they've heard of. That's why listening is so important. We have to be willing to listen to their story. Not only is their story important, yours is. We discussed this when I did a series on evangelism several months ago, and I just want to touch on it now. Your story is important because you've had hurts, habits, hang-ups, and it sometimes benefits them to hear your story because your story may give them hope. So it's okay to do that. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Devin, I don't know if you remember this, Pastor Devin in the worship stopped and said, there's, there's really one thing you say in evangelism. And he said in his, his own Devin way, I was blind. I was blind. But now I see. But now I see. And like the man who we hear about in that story back in John 9.25 when grilled I love what he says he says you know the, the religious leaders of the day wanted to find out who this Jesus was is he a sinner is he a bad dude and the blind guy says this yeah whether he's a sinner or not I don't know but here's what I do know I used to be blind now I see we all have those stories I used to be a drunk but now I'm sober I used to destroy relationships but now I'm whole so many things that we can share. Tell your story. And then maybe this, and this might be the most important thing because this is hard for those of us who are over 50 to get our heads around. This is super hard for a lot of us to get our heads around. New evangelism recognizes, and we talked about identity a couple weeks ago, that identity is a big deal. Identity is a huge, huge deal. And our view of identity as a culture has shifted radically in the last 15 years, okay? The old model of evangelism focused on dealing with sin in your life. You had the two cliffs and Jesus is the bridge. You had the four spiritual laws. You had to deal with sin in your life. What is the problem with trying to do that kind of evangelism? What might be the problem with trying to do that kind of evangelism in 2023? Anybody? Trying to get people to address their sin? Yes, almost a little bit deeper than that. We have a significant segment of the younger population that doesn't believe in such a thing as sin. Right on. So how do you tell somebody that they need to get well when they don't even think they're sick? Right? That's a tough one, isn't it? Let me give you a little idea here of maybe how, uh, maybe how that can work. By the way, here's another problem with it. Guilt is something to be avoided with young people. They don't want to wrestle with guilt or shame. Actually, they're bad words, guilt and shame. We should be free from that. Now, when many of us were growing up, if you ask people what was, and follow me, this might be the most important part, and then we'll wrap up here real quickly. What was the most important thing in life? What was the meaning of life? If you were to ask people 30 years ago, 40 years ago, what was the meaning of life? You would have got something along the line of the meaning of life is to be good. Right? The meaning of life is to be good. That is shifted. Uh, Tim Keller, who is a unique man, a man older than me who has, man, who has ministered to uh, uh, millennials in one of the least church places on the planet, Manhattan. He said this powerful ministry to young people. He said that there was a shift within the last two decades. No longer being good is the meaning of life. 
He says the meaning of life among many young people now could be, could be converted to this. To discover and express your true identity. To discover and express your true identity. By the way, old school guilt can get in the way of that, can it? Some have even argued it's moved beyond to discover your identity to even a new level in the last 10 years or so. Sociologists uh, who study this thing. And, and the meaning of life could be described as to create your own identity. To create your own identity. And this, hear me here. I believe this gives us an opening, church. I think this gives us a little place to have a good conversation with people. To be willing to sit down. By the way, a lot of us are guilty of looking to places for identity. Fashion, sports, career, fame, body art, leisure, fitness. Even things like politics and class and racism. But here's the problem. Whatever you live for winds up enslaving you. Let me give you a good example. For years, this is, this is kind of an interesting one. For years, my identity was wrapped up in being a pastor. And being a really good pastor. Being the best pastor I could be. Here was the problem with that. There are always better pastors than me. There are. I'm, I think I'm a pretty good pastor. I think God's blessed me in some ways. But they're better pastors than me. And the problem with then this idea that this was my identity, pastor was my identity. Man, I was always going to fall short. It was always going to be just a little, it, I, I never would get there. I would never arrive. Here's the challenge with identities. All of these identities that we discussed, by the way, some of us, our identity is Republican. Some of it's Democrat. Some of our identity, you know, we have all these, uh, you know, our social media becomes our identity. Here's the problem with those identities. And everybody in their heart knows this to be true, I believe. All of this identity work and finding our value in it is performative. We always have to be working on it. We always have to be going the next step. We always have to be uh, the best, the brightest. We always have to be more clever or more out there or more dangerous. And here's the problem with it. We never arrive. And it leaves us exhausted. Some of you, your identity has been your work. Or even maybe your kids, a good thing, right? God gave us our kids to love, but not to be our identity. Mom should not be our identity. Dad should not be our identity. And the problem with all of these identities, too, is that they're exclusive. They're exclusive. So in other words, if your identity is uh, um, Democrat, well, all Republicans are they're not welcome. If your identity is young, old people aren't welcome. If your identity is on your race, you exclude other races. If your identity is based on your money, you look down your nose potentially at the poor. These are exclusionary. And yet we have a Jesus Christ who says, come to me all. Every race, every color, every creed, every income level. People who are struggling with uh, their sexual identity. Yes, God loves people who are struggling with their sexual identity. And we're called to walk alongside him. And, and, and let God work. It's one of the reasons, by the way, I believe firmly 
that Jesus makes it clear that God is judged, that we're not judged. Now, give me, don't hear me wrong. I don't want people to go, go here saying, ah, pastor's soft on sin. No, 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 no. But here's the problem. When we set ourselves up as judge, which is clearly the role of God, we limit naturally our ability to share Jesus with other people. Whereas when we set ourselves up as, what, you know what, we're, we're not described as judge in, in, in scripture. You know what we're ju- uh, described as in scripture? Ambassador. Ambassadors by definition have to reach out to people who are different than them. By definition. It's a wrestling, it's tough, I know it. But there are a lot of people out there that are just exhausted, are tired of trying to perform, of trying to be the next big thing. And they just want to be loved. And that's precisely what Jesus is. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Look what Paul says. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. It's this liberation. You see, our identity is in Jesus Christ alone. That's our identity. It means we don't have to perform. Jesus did the work. We don't have to work, we can't work our way into heaven. We accept his grace, and because we accept his grace, we let it overflow out of our lives onto others. Oh, this needs to be a place of grace. That'll reach our young people. This is a liberating message to a lot of young people. Finally, for our younger generations, new evangelism recognizes that our life and what we do in this world are deeply connected. This is good news. By the way, it provides a real opportunity for us to minister to young people. Because by the way, a lot of things that, that young people, things young people care about right now are things the church should care about. And we can, we can say, you know, in a world where, I mean, think of all the nastiness going on in the world today. Sex trafficking. Young people hate that. And the church should hate it too. And we, we can be a place where we're actively engaging our faith and works. Young people are looking. Young people don't, young people, I think, the idea of being saved is good to them. The idea of being saved to serve is even better to them. They want a mission in life. Faith and transformation that loves others is a part of who we are. Matthew 25, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need others and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Much of evangelism is going to be the outside world looking at us and going, do their words match their deeds? Because if their deeds don't match their words, I don't want to be a part of them. Young people, young people have a good nose for fraud. So we need to look like Jesus first. By the way, this really changed my idea about how I do a lot of ministry years ago. I used to require certain things. I used to require you had to, to be a Christian to, to be doing ministry in the church. Some of you are going to be, well, this is outlandish what he's about to say, but hear me out. There are obviously certain roles in the church where you have to be. Our elders are all Christians, just so you know that, all right? Just so you're aware, all of our elders are Christians. 
all right? Our transition team has been, is Christian people. But you know what, I, when I was youth, I decided to start taking kids on mission trips that knew nothing about Jesus. Why? So they could see what Jesus does. Not just hear the words, not just hear four spiritual laws, but rather to see what faith and action looks like. I've let people serve in other roles in ministry. Because the bottom line is I don't save anyone. But I can create openings and opportunities for God's prevenient grace to be at work. And then I have to be listening and watching and observing that person so I know when I should step in and talk to them about what God's already been talking to them about. The bottom line is this. Evangelism that younger generations will listen to is relational. It's not transactional. We're not trying to seal a deal. We're not trying to sign a closing statement. We're not trying to uh, have a bill of sale. We're trying to make disciples that we walk with to make more disciples. And that's going to require a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, walking with people. It's going it's to have tears when people stumble and fall because people will stumble and fall. By the way, I stumbled and fall, fell when I was in college. And then, you know, we don't just kick them out. We get up, if they're repentant, we get up and we keep walking with them. Keep loving on him. Walk with people. Love people. In your workplace, look for ways to minister to people. In your school, look for those kids that are hurting. Love them. Current evangelism may be slower, but there's a realness to it. Who are you talking to Jesus about? And if not, why not?